Good morning, 1548 Heights members and friends online and in person. Grace and peace to you in abundance. It's so good to see all of you after that incredible rainstorm we had last night. I tell you what, I didn't know how that was going to end, but I'm glad it settled down before we made our way to church. I want to give a quick shout out to my sweet wife, Angela. She mentioned that uh, it was our 34th anniversary yesterday, and so we uh, celebrated that milestone. She'll tell you it's been some of the best 20 years of her life, and uh, I would commend that. Um, you know, I was very pleased because I never know how this is going to go when you go out to dinner, but she gave me a one-year extension on my contract with some performance metrics, and I am inspired, inspired to try to meet those in the coming year. <laughs> so pray for me. <laughs> At 1548 Heights, we are, our mission is to be a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. Spiritual transformation is the process of being formed into the image of Jesus over time in community in the context of habits and rhythms and disciplines that allow God to form us spiritually for God's glory, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of the world. God loves us so much that He accepts us as we are. He loves us too much to want us to stay that way. And one of our important rhythms is gathering together for the worship assembly, as Angela mentioned, uh, among other things, to remember, to remember and give thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, June 11th. We, we have these three or four times a year just to help people who feel they are drawing to a point where they would like to be baptized into Christ, make that public declaration, declaration of faith. Uh, and so we'll have the baptismal filled next week. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, thing in the slides that, you know, during service, we'll really do it after service, right after the service. And so uh, it helps us not rush. But if you've been thinking about that, I encourage you to pray about that and, and seek the Lord. And it, it might be your time just to make this public declaration of faith and be buried with Jesus and raised with him in newness of life. We're continuing our series called Good and Beautiful. I'm using a book by James Bryan Smith. Here's a picture of it called The Good and Beautiful You, Discovering the Person Jesus Created You to Be. And today's message is entitled, In Christ You Are Forgiven. We've talked about our souls. We've talked about our bodies. Last week we talked about how God desires us and pursues us in Christ. We are wanted by God, not just tolerated, not just accepted. We are desired and wanted. And today we're going to talk about forgiveness, uh, God's forgiveness of us. Not, we're not going to deal with our forgiveness of others today, but God's forgiveness of us. So as we always do, let's read uh, uh, the Word of God together. Today, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 28. Listen to the word of the Lord. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Thanks be to God for his word and for his living word, Jesus Christ. Smith tells a story of listening to a radio show and a man who called in, a Christian radio show, expressed his, uh, how troubled he was that as much as he hears and may, and may be assured that God forgives his sins, he never quite feels confident in that. He, he just says, I, I, I try to confess my sins, all my sins, and I just never feel that God really forgives me. And Smith resonates this with, with this because that's the way he was taught the Christian faith, and that's what he experienced. He was encouraged, and note this phrase, to keep short accounts with God, to uh, seek confession early and often, regularly clear the account, if you will. <laughs> and, and, and so he could resonate with this idea that how do you know you've really confessed all your sins? How do you know you're really covered and, and God has forgiven you? And it, 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 this idea of keeping short accounts reminded me of a, a, an incident in my life. When, in 1987, I, was, I switched jobs to a full commission sales job here in Houston right in time for the oil bust. <laughs> yeah, that was really great timing. Actually, it was 1986. And it turned out that, you know, I had to use a credit card a little bit to get, you know, get by and for some living expenses. And I found myself just absolutely tired of this job. And uh, with, at the time, what I thought was a lot of credit card debt. And I, I, I'd already decided to go back to Bible school in the fall. So I quit that job. And I got a waiter's job at Papacitos. Anyone? And uh, Richard's shaking his head. No. But, but anyway, I worked about 84,000 shifts a week. And I just worked, 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 worked. And I, and I worked as hard as I could. And I paid off that credit card by the time I went back to school. But I remember that idea of keeping short accounts. I just hated paying extra interest. And so I would write a check about four times a month to the credit card company, trying to get ahead of the accruing interest as much as possible. I was keeping short accounts. And so here's a false narrative about God's forgiveness that many Christians carry. And it's really, it troubles them and it holds them back. The false narrative, and by the way, you should have a little bulletin outline. It's important today especially because we're going to do some participatory stuff. You love that, I know. False narrative. God only forgives sins we confess. God only forgives sins we confess. Now, this sounds pretty transactional, and it kind of is, but there's a reason many people have this perception. And we're going to do a quick whirlwind tour of the biblical story. Very early in the biblical story, 
we see people making offerings to God. Cain and Abel make offerings to God. Noah, in Genesis 8, after the flood, uh, he makes a burnt offering to God. And this is very common in the ancient Near East. You made an offering to your God. You gave your God something of your own that was valuable as a, as a way of, of, of expressing your loyalty and appeasing that God and, and making supplication in some ways. And this just carries forward. We know that Abraham is told by God to give his son as a burnt offering sacrifice. Well, then God stays his hand on that. But the idea, you gave a burnt offering of something valuable, a, an animal in this respect, in the ancient Near East, and this is how you acknowledge your unworthiness before God and sought forgiveness and acceptance. And so after God leaves, leads Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt in what we know as the Exodus, God gives them the covenant, the law. And he builds this in. He says, look, it's important for you to remember, to remember that I have claimed you as my people and you have agreed to call me your God, your only God, and, and part of that will be a regular offering, a burnt offering, regular sacrifice, just to understand, acknowledge that you frequently uh, violate this covenant, that, that you're acknowledging your sin. So, for instance, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, looking back and explaining this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Now listen to this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood. That's why it's a burnt offering. There is no forgiveness of sins. Well, as our reading in Hebrews uh, disclosed, the way this happens is uh, there will be regular weekly offerings, burnt offerings, but at the one time a year, the high priest would take an offering of a, a pure bull and, and make it to God and then would have two goats and one would be offered to God as a burnt offering and the other would be anointed with oil, the sins of the people, and set off into the wilderness. That was called the scapegoat. That's where we get that word, the scapegoat. The goat didn't do anything wrong, but the goat represented the sins of the people. And so this was a, a common uh, practice and one that God gave to his people to keep accounts short every week, every month, every year. And so why does Jesus die on the cross? He dies as the once for all sacrifice for our sins, for all people, for all time. Now, Read what Paul says in Romans 3 about this, 21 through 24. But now, irrespective of law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God, which means rightness with God, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift, made just as if I'd never sinned, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen 
whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. We didn't put the sacrifice forward. God did. And it wasn't of an animal and something that has to be done every week, every month, every year. It's one time, once for all, for all people. And so here is the true narrative. Jesus secures our full and final forgiveness through the cross. Jesus secures our full and final forgiveness through the cross. This radio host said to the caller, listen to this, until you rest in the finality of the cross, you will never experience the reality of the resurrection. If you keep thinking you have to keep short accounts with God, you will never experience the fullness and the reality and the, and the life of the resurrection. And Smith asked his mentor, Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, this is new to me. Is it, do you believe this? And Willard said, quote, yes. It is a wonderful thing to know that God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins. And so the, the true narrative is that Jesus secures our full and final forgiveness through the cross. No more sh short accounts. It's helpful to look at the post-resurrection, post-Pentecost preaching of the early apostles and the Christians. Listen to how they bring this out, how they emphasize it. Acts chapter 10, verse 42 through 43. All the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts 26, 17 through 18, Paul is relating his conversion account, and this is Jesus' words to Paul. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that... Remember Anne told us the importance of so that? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Look at that. A place among those. God gives us a place of forgiveness. I've told you many times about my cycling trip through southern Spain in 1983 that really marked the first time I heard the gospel in a real way that I've told you many times. But it was interesting, on this bike trip with three other friends, we would take off in the morning, and about, you know, 2 o'clock or so, we'd start wondering, where are we going to stay tonight? We would get to a town, and we'd either, uh, you know, pitch our tent somewhere, or we would knock on doors and ask if we could pitch our tent in someone's yard, and we'd stay at a little pensione somewhere, but we, we never quite knew and because we didn't know, we tend to get preoccupied with that, and it would just sort of dominate the last part of the day. Well, we got to one little town, and guess what? There was an American man married to a Spanish woman. And boy, did he brighten up when he saw four young Americans. And he said, yeah, you can pitch your tent in our yard. Go ahead. And then he said, can you believe it? I can tell you, you don't believe it. He said, you know what? Why don't you just stay here and take trips every day and come back? And all of a sudden, we had a place to stay. 
And we didn't have to be preoccupied with where we're going to stay. And in, in a certain way, because we have our full and final forgiveness through Jesus' cross, we don't be, have to be preoccupied with whether we've been fully forgiven, whether we've fully confessed, whether we've paid off our accounts, you see. God gives us that peace, that security. Make note, friends, a key term, once for all. Once for all. This is used eight times in the letter to the Hebrews. Why? Because the writer is telling the Jewish Christians, listen, I know what you're used to is that over and over and over, the sacrifices and the appeals for forgiveness, once for all in Jesus Christ, for all time, for all people, this has been made. Read this with me. This is your participatory part in the bulletin, Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. Is that there? Angela, is that there? Okay. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands day after day at his service offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Wow. John, in his gospel, chapter 19, verse 30, gives us the last words of Jesus. It is finished. It is finished. In the Greek, this is the word tetelestai. Listen to this. Tetelestai is a marketplace word. It means, means it has been completed. It has, it has uh, uh, accomplished the purpose for which it was intended. And in the marketplace, when the vendor gave you an invoice and you paid it, he would mark it tetelestai, paid in full. And so Jesus says, from the cross, it has been paid in full for the sins of all people. Friends, the true narrative is that in Jesus Christ, we receive the full and for final forgiveness of our sins through what he's done for us on the cross. Now, you, you may have two questions, or let me suggest two questions you ought to have. How about that? I love telling you what you need to think. Why all the emphasis on repentance in the New Testament and the Old Testament? Why, if, if, if this is the case, that in Jesus we have our full and final forgiveness through the cross, why the emphasis on repentance? Jesus says at the beginning of his ministry, the, the, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. We're told in Acts 2.38, people say, what should we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Why repentance? Because repentance also is a one-time acknowledgement that we have been living for ourselves, relying on our own merits, living pridefully, and we want to 
acknowledge all that to God, and we want to change. And we want to change. And we want to accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We want to make what, what uh, Wesley called that wondrous exchange. And Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, what is the place for confession then? If we don't have to keep short accounts and continually confess our sins so that we make sure we're paid up, uh, what is the place of confession? I think confession is a way of just acknowledging to God and to ourselves, yeah, I'm a sinner. I sin. I continually need the cross of Jesus Christ. In my prayers, I, I will generally just say, Lord, I confess my sins of omission and commission. Thank you for your forgiveness. Sometimes I'll confess particular sins, but it's never, would you please forgive me? In Christ, in whom I have put my faith, and whose work on the cross I have staked my life, I am forgiven. I have the full and final forgiveness in the cross of Jesus. But I just acknowledge that because it's good. It's good for our heart. It's good for our soul. And I say, thank you for your forgiveness. Now, the second question you have that you didn't know you had was this. Wait a minute. Doesn't this give Christians a license to sin? If we know we have the full and final forgiveness of Jesus through the cross, well then, don't we just go live any way we want? You were thinking that, weren't you? No, you weren't, because you're part of my flock, man. Paul anticipates this in Romans 6. He says, what then should we say? Should we sin that grace may abound all the more? No. No, he says, don't you know that we have died to sin? And then he appropriates the, the, the baptismal imagery. He says, do you not know that we are crucified with Christ and lowered into the death for our old life, and then raised with him in newness of life from the water? Don't you know we've died to that old life? Why would you want to go and, and, and continue partaking in that? Christ is in you now. Don't be thinking, how much can I get away with? Think, how much is there for me now that I have God's full and final forgiveness? It's interesting, uh, Smith was asked this by one man, doesn't this give us license to sin? And Smith said, well, I'll ask you a question. How are you doing without the license to sin? Uh, still sinning a lot. Most of us don't need a license to sin, right? But knowing we are fully and finally forgiven in Jesus Christ is a way to say, oh, thank you, Lord, I don't have to keep short accounts. Thank you, Lord, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to sleep at night. Because you've taken that. You've given me a place. And now I can live. I can spend the full day. The full day. So he, make this note. Here's our choice. We can relate to God through our sins or through Jesus' cross. There is no other choice. You can say... A lot of people do. Well, you know, I, I think there's a scale. And I, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And, and you know what's so interesting to me about that is people just assume that, that uh, there's a scale. <laughs> we're, 
do you get that? That's some cultural uh, manifestation. No, no, no. Because anything on the scale of bad deeds is sin, and, and God uh, can't be part of that. So forget the scale. Which choice do you make? I want to sort of live with a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of religion, a little bit of faith, as much as I can, and, but I think I'm generally a good person, and uh, if I need what Jesus has done, maybe sort of at times, but not fully, you're living relating to God through sins, through your sins. Will he forgive my sins? But you haven't moved beyond that. And living through Jesus' cross. It's that stark, friends. James says in chapter 2, verse 10, Whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become accountable for all of it. Friends, in Christ, the scale is taken away. And we are fully and finally given, forgiven. In closing, I want to just reflect on a song we sang earlier today. It is well with my soul. Oh. What an incredible song. And if you know the story, incredible story. Uh, but that third verse, I invite you to sing that with me now. Most of you won't. But I'm going to sing it. For better or for worse. Let's just put it up on the screen here. And listen to the words. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. The whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Friends, that is the life and the security and the joy and the refreshment that comes from not having to keep short accounts with God and not having to be insecure about whether we're really prayed up and, and, and petitioned up and, and confessed up or not. God says, in my son, paid in full, choose Jesus or not. That's the choice. And I invite you to choose Jesus Christ who pursues us, the hound of heaven, as we talked about last night. I'm going to pray, and, and I'm just going to ask you to pray with me, and, and I'm going to pray a way that maybe you find your heart orienting to pray and say, Lord, I want to stop kind of trying to have both. I want to, I want to fully, fully lean on the cross of Jesus Christ so that I may no longer have to live trying to live with these short accounts so that I can have the security and peace of knowing that in Christ I am fully and finally forgiven. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we know that in many ways we try to hedge our bets. We try to say, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe Jesus, maybe some of Jesus, not all. Father, we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins. And we thank you. I thank you. That in Jesus Christ, you have extended us full and final forgiveness for our sins, effective through our faith. And so we place our faith now in that, Lord. Not in our abilities, not in anything the world thinks, but in that now. What Jesus has done for us on the cross. In his glorious and powerful and full name, we pray. Amen.